Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, securities markets. Now, we will quit at 2.55, and I will have a surprise quiz for you to take. And my quiz is all your, your free use notes, not your phones or anything like that, because you're more likely to get a wrong answer trying to cheat that way. But you can use your notes on my quizzes. And uh, this one's, I mean, this one's so easy, I'm embarrassed to give it to you. Oh, well, <laughs> but... Uh, this one's made to lull you into a sense of happiness so that I can destroy you later <clears throat> and get more joy out of the look on your face. But uh, yeah, this, uh, this one is just a 10-minute uh, quiz. And when you're finished with it, you may leave quietly, I would ask you. But uh, as always, a look at the numbers to begin. <clears throat> Now, uh, uh, madam, is this a bull day or a bear day? Bull. No, bull. It's a bull day. Yeah. Now, this is a very, this is a weak bull. I mean, this isn't like, you know, this is moo, moo, moo. I can't see, but I'm going upward. It's not a robust up day. It's, it's, say that again. No, it's still bull. <laughs> I mean, you know, any up day is better than no up day, but this one is not spectacular. The market has been kind of in a uh, in a holding pattern. We're still in a good in good shape, but as you can see from those spark charts, and by the way, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it, these little mini graphs are called spark charts, and you can do those in Excel. If you've got some data, you can just highlight the data, and you go to uh, go to data, and you can choose a spark chart, and it'll pop it right up beside your data. So these are kind of nice for a quickie look at how things are going. If you look at the Dow, up. 0.14. It's been, it actually dipped into negative and then it kind of came back up a little bit uh, and then it dipped back down. It's not a major day and that's partly because we are still bullish on the market as a whole but the day-to-day -day isn't, sometimes it's not all that great. Now the S&P 500 is up a little more and then the NASDAQ is up the most. You see the percentages. Notice that pattern. It seems to sh it shows up a lot that the riskier the portfolio, the more it will react to the information of the moment. And that's, that's just, it doesn't always. Sometimes it's kind of weird because it's exactly backward. The Dow reacts the most, and then this S&P a little bit, and then the NASDAQ hardly at all. 
but this isn't all that unusual. This is the typical pattern, I should say. Crude oil, it's pushing toward that band resistance at 82. Now notice, I remember I've talked about how you'll see a resistance and it will push, you'll see a market push against that resistance. It does not seem to want to get much above that, above that $82 a barrel. Now there are a lot of factors that are go into this, obviously, and right now, we just tapped into our reserves again. Not sure why the National Reserve of Oil, and I'm, again, I'm not sure why we did that, but that's where we are right now, is that apparently that was done to suppress some of the upward price pressure, particularly caused by disruptions of hydrocarbon supplies coming out of Eastern Europe. But, okay, gold, it's trying there again a resistance at the 2000 that's sort of like a, a holy grail the $2,000 an ounce mark and it's trying to push against it again but it can't seem to find the muscle to get there now silver on the other hand had has actually is down a little bit right now and it's a more reliable indicator of the true commodity itself and the supply and demand conditions. And so silver is down a little bit. What that means depends on what kind of a trader you are. Ten-year bond, the yield is down four-tenths of a basis point. That's not much at all. It's hardly anything. But that means that the price is up just a little bit on, your, uh, on the benchmark ten-year uh, treasury. It's nothing spectacular. It's really pretty quiet. And, uh, well, well, the pound sterling is, I mean, the international currencies are up a little bit, but nothing spectacular. So that's not much of an issue right now. And I'll explain in a subsequent lecture what those currency markets, where they are going, tells you at any given time. Right now, the dollar is actually has... Uh, depreciated against euro and the pound, which is to say that the euro and the pound have appreciated against the dollar. The reason is mostly has to do with interest rates right now, that uh, the uh, Europeans and the British are pushing their interest rates up more aggressively than we are. We addressed the inflation problem earlier than other countries did. So by pushing up interest rates. So now we are almost done with it, but the Europe, uh, Europe and London and all that are trying to still push their interest rates up because they're still facing the fact that they've got to stop the inflation. How do you do that? You raise interest rates. How do you raise interest rates? You decrease the supply of money because interest rates are the price of money. And I say this over and over again, and eventually it begins to kind of get in your nature, but I don't expect you to know this right off the top of your head. Now, uh, Tokyo, look at this. It was kind of interesting because Tokyo had a surge. It had a surge and then a drop, and then it surged up in the morning. But by the midday, it was in a slow, quiet slide downward. It never went back to where it started, but there was some bearish uh, sentiment going on over there through the later morning and into the until the bell. And then when it came, when the sun set in Tokyo, it started rising in Europe. And by the time it got to London, you had a bull spike there at the beginning, and then a bear drop. But it didn't stay, and it, eventually the market just kind of 
piddled along and had a little bit of a sell-off toward the end. I think, are they still? No, their, their trading day is over by now. But yeah, that's where we are. London quit. And then we came over here to the United States and things opened up with a bull spike, interestingly enough. And then a drop off and then a slow rise and then down and up. It's just one of those days where it's kind of hard to say what is going on uh, with the market. Now to look at a couple of companies to keep you on track with getting used to that. Um, oh, let me, I talked about ETFs yesterday. Let me look back at the spider. Now the spider should be behaving like the S&P 500 because that's what it is. And if you look, yeah, it's, See, almost the same, it's the same pattern. You're seeing the Standard & Poor's 500 in this individual stock called an ETF, called the SPY. Spike, bear drop, and then a slow piddle upward and then down and up, just like the S&P 500. See that? That is that chart right there. The entire Standard & Poor's 500 portfolio is captured in a single share of this portfolio ETF. And so if you want to ride the S&P 500, you can't afford it, I can't afford it, but you can, you can probably buy one of these spider shares and then just go up and down with it. Another thing that I should note, and this is a newer thing and I forget to mention it. Back a long time ago, you bought stocks in round lots, 100 shares. If you wanted to buy an odd lot, something other than a multiple of 100, you paid a little extra for it, for the inconvenience to the brokers. And then that went away, and you could buy 5, 2, 1, 83 shares. And so that's the way odd lots are not any issue anymore. But you'll still hear me use the term round lot for uh, in certain occasions. Now, however, you can, on some exchanges, you can buy fractions of stocks. You can buy, so in other words, I could actually, if I had $500, I could buy $500 of the spider. That would buy me about, what, 1.1 share of it, something like that. But you can do that now with a lot of brokers. I don't know, some are still charging for a little bit for a fractional share, but some aren't. I, uh, if I'm not mistaken, eToro, I've bought fractional shares on eToro. And, you know, you just, you just get a piece of a share. Uh, and there's no big thing about it. So the market is a lot, is more accommodating of people who don't have perfect amounts of money to throw at stocks. But anyway, going away from that and moving back towards some other kinds of companies, one uh, just pull one out of my out of thin air loans now here's something to think about and this dovetails into the lecture today the trading symbol in Lowe's case that's an L Netflix is NFLX Pfizer is PFE Procter & Gamble is PG now a stock that would have a one, two, or three-letter symbol would be an, a New York Stock Exchange stock. If it has more than, if it has four letters, 
It's a NASDAQ stock. It trades on the over-the-counter electronic bulletin board service. So L, Lowe's, one letter, New York Stock Exchange. See, and you can see it, NYSE, right there. It says NASDAQ is the quotation service, but this one trades on that big physical platform, the, uh, the NYSE. Another one, but if I were to look at a stock with four letters, like MRNA, that would be Moderna. That's a NASDAQ stock, four letters. Now here's what's funny about it. The NASDAQ is almost all small cap market capitalization companies. However, think about this, MSFT, AMZN, those are four letters. Those giants are actually still parked on the NASDAQ, or they were at one time. And why do some ginormous companies not jump over to the big boy screens of the, of the NYSE? Why should they? The NYSE charges an, uh, lots of money to get on it, and they have all these reporting requirements, and there are companies that just say, well, we started on the NASDAQ, we'll just stay there. Who cares? It's not like it changes much of anything. There's plenty of liquidity on the, NAS, on the NASDAQ. So that, sometimes you'll see a four-letter um, trading symbol, but it's a big company. So you've got the, all these little dwarves running around and a few ginormous giants walking around too. But let me go back here and look at Lowe's real quick. Lowe's. And you should be pretty comfortable with this now. Is this a, uh, well, you tell me. Is this a risky or a not risky company? It is not risky. Very good, it's below one. It's a relatively conservative uh, company. Is this company undervalued or uh, overvalued right now? Undervalued. Very good. It's below 30 on the P-E ratio. Is it profitable? You tell me. Is this a profitable company, sir? Yes, it is. It wouldn't even have a P-E ratio if it was not profitable. But look at the price earnings ratio. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the EPS. Earnings per share is $5.97. So in other words, if you take the total earnings divided by the number of shares, you get the EPS. The total earnings would have to be positive for the er total earnings divided by the stock shares to be positive. This is a nicely positive company. Five bucks, five and change a share. And this company earned its shareholders. That's decent, that's not bad at all. Now, the next one, looking down here, it pays a dividend, but it's a pretty crappy dividend. It's a very small dividend. I mean, yeah, you get a 25 cent per share check in the mail, and that means the dividend yield is only 0.4%. In other words, two, 25 cents divided by $62.19 a share is only 0.40%. So the dividend yield is not significant. It is there, the dividend, if there were no dividend, the dividend yield would be zero. But in this case, yeah, there's a, some of your total holding period return will be from the dividend, not much. You're still relying in this stock on price appreciation. Now again, when the price goes up, we call that capital gain. That's the capital gain. 
or if the price goes down, it's capital loss. But let's, let's root for a capital gain. Now, the total return is your capital gain plus your dividend. So, in other words, there are two pieces to what you will earn overall with a company if you invest in the stock. There's a rise in the price, and there's the dividend. If there's no dividend, well, all you can rely on for a positive holding period return is the capital gain. In this case, there's some. Now, trading volume, as you can, well, you know, that's kind of weird. This is company. I would think that they would have an average volume more in the millions, but they don't. I, I mean, I, I, okay. But today, I mean, look at that volume. That volume sucks today. I, I, I mean, even compared to a, a, an average day of 700,000 shares trading, today only about 150,000 have traded, and we're coming toward the end of the trading day now. So apparently no one's interested in lows. And so in a case like that, the bears are, look at that. You see that spike and then it dropped off like the markets overall did today, but it wasn't anything spectacular. The company is just, I mean, what, 0.14% down? It's a low risk stock, so it's not going to be that volatile. And there's hardly anyone trading on it today. So that's going to suppress activity, uh, price movement in the stock. Now, I, I need to get into that a little bit today. It's in chapter two, and I can explain it a lot better than chapter two can. But anyway, let me go back over here. I want to look at Moderna, M-R-N-A. Now, Moderna is, you pro probably already know, it's one of the makers of the anti-COVID-19 virus uh, that will immunize you against SARS-CoV-2. But uh, it, it has other drugs, other vaccines in the pipeline. There are so many exciting things going on right now with these RNA-based uh, uh, vaccines. And so Moderna is in the race. It's not just about COVID, because if it were, once COVID calms down, and it's having a little surge on campus again right now, but once that calms down, Moderna would have very low price because there's hardly any future expected earnings. However, Moderna is like any company, it's not living off what it's already done, it's living off what it can do in the future. And it's working on anti-vaccines. Uh, uh, I believe they're in the race for a, finally, for a vaccine against HIV. And they are, there's a lot of talk now, rumors about vaccines against certain types of cancers. So Moderna has positive prospects. As you can see, it's up pretty strongly today, more than the market is. Notice MRNA, four letters, NASDAQ company. Okay, looking at it, uh, just right, uh, right away, just quickly, uh, what would you say, uh, madam, is this a uh, risky or a not risky stock? Risky. Yeah, very risky. 1.61 is getting exciting risky. In other words, whither goes the world markets on an average day in a well-diversified portfolio, this will whipsaw 161% of that. So that's definitely. It is, however, and it's overvalued right now, somewhat. It's not spectacularly over, overvalued, 
but I would kind of expect a correction at some point in the life of this. Uh, it is profitable. It's earning $2.93 per share for its shareholders, which is decent. But notice, no dividend. This is a young company. This company does, it makes money at the bottom line, that net, that earnings, net earnings, profit, whatever you want to call it, that belongs to the shareholders. The company can give some of it back to the shareholders, or it doesn't have to give any back. It could just plow all of the money back into the company to grow the company and at least theoretically push the stock price up. Moderna is a young company. It's not going to throw dividends at its shareholders. It's just going to plow every penny it makes back into the company on behalf of the shareholders, the owners. So this is riskier in that regard. One of the, reason, one of the reasons beta is high is because all you can rely on is capital gain. There's no check in the mail for the dividend that's going to come from Moderna. Probably not for a long time. I don't know that for sure, but there you go. Now I'm going to bring up here a, 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 a topic. I said holding period return <coughs> and capital gain. Now, if you can tell me exactly the price of a stock a year from now, we need to talk. The, every, every service that gives you a one-year projection of the price is just feeling in the dark, really. I do it, we use our best tools, but we don't know what the price is going to be in a year. And it relying, Yahoo here says that Moderna in one year is going to be $167.63. Now, the first thing you have to ask is, do I really trust a projection made by a company called Yahoo? <laughs> the second thing about it is, I, I mean, yeah, it could do that. What I'm going to show you here, and just write down the steps. It's not hard to do it. It's just a little arithmetic calculation. And you can do it on a simple cheapo calculator. Calculator. Now, you want to use a scientific calculator to do this. Uh, scientific. What I would do, this would be the one year holding capital gain yield. The holding period is one year. I could say 167.63 divided by, that would be what you would sell it at. If you sold it in one year, that's what they're saying you would get divided by what you invested right now, one year before, 116.92. Now the gain is always the end divided by the beginning minus one. So I have to minus one here. Now that's, you, you, you can times by 100 to make that a percent. So Yahoo is saying that your capital gain yield for a one-year hold 
would be a whopping 43.37%. That's decent. But then again, that's beta. Greater the risk, the greater the expected return. One of the fundamental principles of finance. And here we have a risky stock that at least Yahoo is telling you if you invest in it, you're going to make 43.37% on that investment if you hold it for exactly one year. Now, if there were a dividend, I would add that dividend yield to it. But there's no dividend, so there it is. You're riding the stock price entirely. So if, uh, now, again, you have a high-risk high risk stock, you have a high expected return on it, you're not going to get a dividend to, help, to uh, tide you over. All you can rely on is that stock price. So the, ca so the total one-year holding period return to Moderna is projected to be 43.37%. Oh, that's a pretty decent, but remember, you're taking a risk as you could, you could very well make this or more, but you could also take an ass bath on it. You could get pounded into the ground. But that's how you do it. Now, I'm going to do another one here. And I'm going to do this uh, most days just to get you used to it. And it, it, you always take the end over the beginning minus one for if it's a one year. Okay, so let me go over here. I'm trying to think of another company. Anyone got a company? Don't say Tesla. No, oh, I can look at Target tar again. Target. Okay, that is uh, uh, the same as market. Now it's got a now this one's interesting. Let me do this one because this one's got a dividend. So I'm going to get the capital gain yield for a year. That is always the one uh, end one fifty one point eighty five divided by the beginning one twenty one twenty six ninety seven. Point nine seven minus one. So the capital gain part of your yield, holding period return, is going to be 19.595. So I'll times that by 100. So off the stock price appreciating, you're going to get 19 point, about 19.6% on target. Notice that that's a lower, but you also have a, uh, a stock that is not as risky. However, in this case, you also have to include the dividend yield. So I'll take the plus 3.44%. So your total holding period, one year holding period return, would be 23.04%. That's how you do it. And this is, I, I mean, this is stupid easy. On a midterm exam, I would take a, I will include, on your midterm exam, I'll include a stock screen. I'll ask you questions. Risky, not risky, overvalued, undervalued, whatever. Uh, how much would you pay if you bought stock? How much would you get if you sold stock? Bid and ask, that is. And, uh, 
those kinds of things. And I would also ask you, based upon that screen, what's your total one-year holding period return? That's how, this is how you do it. You just take the projected ending value divided by what you pay for it right now, minus one, then always times it by 100, and then add the dividend yield, the one in parentheses. One more, just so you get kind of used to this. Oh, uh, LMH is always fun. Nope, LHM. Oops, that was not, oh, I can't remember that symbol, dang. Let me do something I know, General Electric, GE. GE has lost ground today. It's got a somewhat risky, undervalued, profitable. And it does pay, kind of a piss ass, it pays a little bit of a dividend. Now let's have a look at what the outlook is according to Yahoo for the year. Again, you just take the ending value and one year, Yahoo says it'll be worth $124.52. Divided by what you invest today, $114.35. And then minus one <laughs> times 100. So GE. Its capital gain yield is going to be a rather lousy 8.89%. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a positive, for God's sake. And then you're going to add, that's the capital gain yield for a one-year holding period. Now you have to add in the dividend yield to get the total earn, uh, yield. And that's a, just a lousy 0.28%. And I always do these as percentages. Uh, so whoop-de-doo, a 9.17% a expected total return for the year. Now notice, this is a rather risky stock. And that is that for a risky stock, yeah, that's kind of on the borderline of being sucky. And it's also, interestingly enough, I mean, that, the stock is undervalued, but the Yahoo analysts don't seem to think that's going to cause a much in the way of price appreciation over the year. Now, there are factors involved with General Electric lawsuits that they're still kind of fighting with and all that, but there you go. That is sort of, and I'll do this every day. I mean, you'll get used to it. Just have a calculator out with you. It's easy to do these, and you can take different, there are a lot of services that say, well, in one year the stock will be, and you can figure out what they're implying about your total return for the year, and all that. And as I've warned you before, I introduce things, just talk about them, before I write any stupid formula on the board. It's better to just be able to do it and then sort of get an idea of why you're doing it before you, I show you a formula that has nothing to do with the explanation of why and uh, all that. Okay, enough of that. 
the one thing that's behind all, a couple of things, and I've already talked about the markets, like the physical markets, like the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, all those kinds of uh, good markets, and the, the, the electronic markets like the NASDAQ. Uh, and they go into the dealer network in the book somewhat as well. Behind this, though, there's a couple of questions that are persistent in our business. And we kind of know the answers from empirical research. Are these markets efficient in the sense that do they re really reflect all relevant information in the current price of the stock? The, in a sense, in other words, is the equilibrium price really reflecting everything that has ever happened so that the only information that matters is what we expect to happen in the future. And this efficient market hypothesis, we have a lot of, re we have a lot of data that says, yeah, you really can't find any truly useful information in previous stock prices. All we can do is base our projections off expectations, which is in a way more difficult because we have to dig deeper. We have to do fundamental analysis. We have to ask questions about competitive advantage, where their plans are for the future, how good their managers, their executive management is at coming up with new ideas. What are the perils? You know, that's famous SWOT charts um, uh, with the, uh, uh, that we use, we ask about that. Um, yeah, but there's another question underneath that one. What information do they have? Is there information that you might be able to get that not everyone has. And therefore, something that has already happened, you might be able to take advantage of it. In other words, it's not just the public information. There's also another realm of private information that could be in those stock prices and that, that could be used or possibly is used and we don't know that it's being used? The answer to that is maybe. We do know that there is insider trading. Some insider trading is legal, some is not. And the question is, how much of that insider information that is not public information is playing on those stock prices? Sometimes when a stock price does something odd, is that just public information getting in there? Or is there something else getting in there that we are completely blindsided by? Invisible information from insiders trading. We know damn well it happens. And some of it, like I said, there's legal. The officers and directors are allowed to sell some of their stock in certain time frames and legally. But we also know that that's not all that's happening in there. And we have even caught the players. And they should go to jail. But some of them are such powerful forces 
that nothing ever happens to them, even though they take advantage of information that we don't have, and they push stock prices up before we get the information to act on that. Or they sell the stock before we hear that bad news, and then we try to sell it, and it's already fallen. And you say, what the hell happened there? Why did that fall when everyone found out about this right now, this bad news? Well, it was because there were insiders who knew it before we did. Is that in there? Well, yeah, some of it really is. A uh, good example of that, uh, back before COVID got to be a publicly known danger of, to the, not just to humans, but to economies as a whole, there was a lot of secret information that was being uh, communicated to members of Congress in closed, uh, locked up uh, secret sessions. We know damn well at, at, that there were several senators who traded on that information. One of those senators was the spouse of the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange. That senator and her husband traded on that information. We know they did. They're claiming, oh, that just accidentally happened. Now, if I'd done that, I would have been some hard-timers old lady at a federal prison. But they did it. Nothing ever happened to them. So that's just the reality of it. Sometimes we can get blindsided by information, by price pops and drops that we could not have seen coming because we didn't have the information some insiders had. Just something to be watch out for. Be careful about it, for God's sake. So there you are on that. I brought up that idea of equilibrium. Now you saw that in economics. Well, the equilibrium price is the price where the quantity being supplied is cleared by the quantity being demanded. That kind of abstract uh, economic stuff. And I'm speaking as, uh, as someone who teaches economics. They draw you this chart, quantity versus price. And they have two of these. They have one that captures the law of supply and the law of demand. The law of supply says that as the price of a product increases from P1 to P2, the quantity supplied to the market will increase. Quantity supplied one, quantity supplied two. Now this isn't a change in supply, this is a change in the quantity supplied. A change in supply is a shift of the curve and that happens for really fundamental things. Similarly, the law of demand. As the price of a product in, uh, as the price of a product increases from P1 to P2, the quantity demanded decreases uh, decreases from QD1 to QD2. Now, how much do I care about you remembering this? Not a whole lot. But do know that there is no such thing as the law of supply and demand. There's a law of supply and a law of demand. However, in an abstract sort of way, 
When you bring a market, it's where a supply curve for something and a demand curve meet. They, they, they're in the same, what we call, topological space. And in that place, as the price increases, the quantity supplied will just keep going up. But as that price increases, the quantity demanded goes down. There's this sweet spot called the equilibrium price or the market clearing price where the quantity being supplied to the market is the same as the quantity being demanded. Now again, this is just background. Truth be told, I try to dance. If, if you have me, by the way, in, uh, ever get me in an economics course, I'm not big on graphs because they say, well, it's because of this graph. No, the graph is just showing. The because is more something logical, something that it doesn't, that's just an explanation, is an explanation. Anyway, so what about stock markets and bond markets and derivatives markets? What's going on with them? At any given time, there is a supply of a stock that is available to that market, to the stock market. And at the same time, there is a demand for that stock. The exchanges are when those two meet each other. They find each other. And they, they play out their game. However, that equilibrium price, I mean, it's not a solid thing. It's, just, it's like those supply and demand curves, they're fuzzy. They're bouncing around at any given time. All of a sudden, you decide that you're going to get rid of some stock. Well, you just changed the supply curve by just walking in there. The supply curve shifted. You decide, well, by God, I want to buy some of that stock. You just changed the demand curve. So the, these supply and demand curves aren't these solid lines. They're like fuzzy. They're always vibrating back and forth. And what that does is that means that the price, the equilibrium price, is going to be going up and down. Hour to hour, minute to minute, even second to second. And if you look at actual stock prices, you look at them on a real trading screen, not yeehaw. But if you look at them, I mean, you look at it and a second later, it's a different number. That's those supply and demand curves as market participants enter and exit. It's those, they're just swinging back and forth and in kind of a band and the equilibrium price is doing its thing. It's clearing the market as fast as it can. When someone pushes a supply in, someone pushes, a, you put, you try to sell a lot of stock. So the supply curve goes out. Supply curve goes out. Oh, it goes that way, okay? You push some stock in there. Boom. It goes outward. Okay? Well, all that does is cause the price of the stock to go down. Because you're trying to dump stock, you're going to try to sell it, whatever the price is you can get for it, probably. Similarly, you step in there and you say, I shall demand some of that stock. So you kick the demand curve out a little bit. And well, spank me, the price of it goes back up. And that is happening second to second. So this idea of the theoretical you know, equilibrium price, well, yeah, it's there, but it's going to change every time some hoe handle comes in there to buy or sell stock. 
that's my explanation. The book gives it in a kind of a more technical way. But, you know, when, when, I, when you've done this like I have, you see these supply and demand curves. It's almost like you see them in your mind as suddenly there is a sell order come in or there's a buy order come in. Uh, and you see the price reacts from second to second. Oh, well, actually, look, even in Yahoo, which has a slower, it, it doesn't show every last movement. But if you watch it, well, <laughs> generally, electric, yeah, see how it's bouncing around? That's the equilibrium price changing because there was a big buy order or a big sell order. Whoop. Well, look at this. Three, 133, 130. So that means that the price, see the price going up a little bit? There was a buy order, so there wasn't enough for the supply. So the price went up so that the supply, some more su quantity supplied would come into the market. Just in, and like I said, if you were looking at the actual trade, the tickers, these prices are just going boing, 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 as the buy and sell orders flow in. And, the, and this activity is a lot more based upon how much volume there is. See here how the volume isn't all that strong today? That'll be a, that will mean that the equilibrium price will not move as fast up and down. Okay, enough of that kind of theoretical side to the whole story. There, there's more to it than this. There really is. We, there's, a, there's an assumption in economics, uh, and we embrace that assumption. We assume that you're all rational. Now, that might not, if you've seen enough fail videos, you might say, well, that can't possibly be true. But we assume that you're rational. You're going to act on information, and you are going to be profit maximizers. You're there driven by greed. You're not there, you don't go in to say, I'm going to make a mistake. You don't go in there with the idea that I don't care what happens. Yes, you do. You are greedy sons of bitches, just like I am. We're all in there to make a buck, or at least to keep from losing a lot of money. So, we, generally speaking, in economics, we and in finance, we say, Every agent is rational. We behave underneath it all by these laws of the universe to optimize our, our activities. But that's not enough to explain stock markets. At least sometimes they seem to be, be at, least some, at least some investors or many investors seem to behave in a way that doesn't make sense in terms, if we assume, just pure rationality. And especially if we assume that people are long-term rational. Here's, this brought about a kind of a revolution uh, in finance, and we're still debating it a lot, but we now know that it's real. And it comes from ga game theory and gambling. Now I remember game theory 
it sounds fun. It is not. I made the mistake of taking one of my grad level courses in mathematics was game theory. And it was, that was way too much like work. Even the old professor would get finished with a couple of boards and he'd say, I'm done for the day. You can finish it from here. Okay, here's this nutshell. Okay, madam. You decide you're going to go to a casino. Okay? Now, you are actually rational. You know the house always wins. Okay, you even walk up to the door and the bouncer says, well, glad to see you. You're going to get your ass kicked tonight. <laughs> God says to you, you're going to lose your shirt. Your mother calls you. You're going to get your ass kicked. Uh-huh. And then you're going to come back here and live. And I just don't have the money to, to feed you and all the other 25 kids I had. But that doesn't mean you're going to walk out. Suppose that you walk in and the first table you see, you have a very good chance of winning at that table. You have a very good chance of winning at that table. Are you going to, no, no, I'm going to get my ass kicked. I'm going to walk away. <laughs> Or are you going to play that table? You probably play that table. Yeah. Okay, you win. See, that begins to change your perspective. Never mind what your mom said, what God said, what the bouncer said. You know that you are a winner. <laughs> so you look at the next table. And now you have a slight bias that you can win at that table. And you play it. And you might even come out ahead. But you know that somewhere tonight, you are going to get your clock cleaned. But at any given table you step to, you believe that you'll win. And that's why it looks like investors are irrational. Because many, most, the vast majority, especially of amateur investors, lose money. They do. They'll lose. And then they'll walk away from doing it after a few years. But they've still done it. And they should know better. They know that eventually they will lose. But they don't do that. It's like lottery tickets. You believe that you will win because you saw someone else win. You might even win $20 every month even though you blew $200 on lottery tickets. You will still play them. Are you irrational? Absolutely not. You are playing you are playing the odds, but you are looking at the short term because it compels you to ignore the long term. That's what we see in stock markets. It's not classical economic theory. It's not even classical financial uh, economics theory. But we know it's what happens. I saw this many years ago in a completely different business. Working in a carny, uh, as a carny, we had, uh, there, there was one where we had, it, it was classic balloons and darts. And what you would do is you would have, you would look around. You see some of, you know, people walking by and losing at your, and most people weren't going near you. And then you'd see the mark. I would see you, madam. You're a little five-year-old girl. And your mom 
and your dad are there with you. I say, hey, kid, come on up. Come on up. I'll even let you do this for free. Okay, come on. And then you come up. Okay. And you take the darts. I say, here, let me help you. Whoa, you're good. And then the next one. See how easy this is? Pop, pop. And I'd make sure that you won. And then I'd give you the biggest freaking teddy bear there. Okay? And I'd say, make sure you tell everyone who asks you where you got that teddy bear. You see what I've done? I've biased. Most people can't hit those damn balloons. I've made them so inflated that they darts bounce off. But I got you. And I got everyone who looks at you and says, I can, if that little twerp can do it, I can do it. See how I twist the probabilities? And that's what markets do by their nature. They can do that to people. I have a lot of people come up, well, I've done pretty damn well in the stock market, so goddamn, I'm a big, I'm a really, really cool son of a bitch. You give it till you're 60 years old, and at that time, you'll be knocking on my door wanting to crash in my house, and I'll say no. Oh, wait, no, I won't, because, you know, eventually, you know, I'll be able to sell you into some kind of an old people's trafficking market. But there's that. <laughs> well, that's not funny. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, anyway, getting, getting past that, though, this is behavioral finance at, at its finest. And in our markets, we, we understand this. However, you are the professionals in the world that's coming. And there, you have to not be the ones who let this happen to you. You are not going to reform the world and make them see the light. Don't ever think that you can, can, uh, that you can turn a donkey into an Albert Einstein. It's, have you ever seen it happen? It doesn't happen. You've never heard a donkey say equals M-C-E-O <laughs> squared, whatever. You don't see that. You can't change them. All you can do is exploit them. They'll feel better without that money, and you will feel better with it. Now, you have a quiz that's opening in two minutes. Jump on it. Get yourself logged in. The password for the quiz. And for God's sake, I hope the quiz opens. But once you're finished with it, that's all I have for you today. I thank you.